It certainly is a joy to be able to share the precious good news of the gospel with you this morning. And uh, I am just absolutely thrilled to think about how the Lord Jesus Christ saved me and offers that same salvation to each and every one of you. How much we have to thank him for this morning. And it's all as the song we just sang, Grace Alone. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that it is by grace alone that we're saved, that our sins are forgiven, that we're washed and kept clean by your precious blood that you shed on Calvary's cross. Thank you for the atoning work that you've done there for us. And we pray that you would give us open hearts by your Holy Spirit today to receive that word and we would hold it dear in our hearts, that we would not forget who you are or what we are or our position now in Christ. We pray your blessing upon us in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The lesson that uh, I've chosen to preach on today is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It was read earlier and uh, we sometimes have to ask some questions about who we are and what we are. How did we get here this morning even? What is it that God wants in our lives? Sometimes we don't really ask all those questions and we kind of walk into the door of a church and sit down and think everything's about the same as it always has been. But I can't help but believe that this morning there is a special divine appointment with each one of you and with our Savior. That he has ordained this moment because he wants to say something to you. And by his Holy Spirit, he wants to call you unto himself. I'm going to read, first of all, just a little bit of that passage that was read earlier. And if you can kind of try to get your head around some of this with me this morning. It doesn't sound very encouraging at first. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. It's really a horrible passage of, of the scriptures. Dead in your trespasses and sins? That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to that church at Ephesus, to, to people that were Christians. And yet he reminded them that they were in fact dead in their sins until Christ came into their lives. And we argue with, with God about a lot of these things. We might say, but I, I know that I've sinned. I've made a few mistakes here and there. I violated a few of the Ten Commandments, and I haven't always lived according to the Bible, but dead? I'm not dead. I'm still breathing, I'm still alive. 
But you see, well, there are two types of death. On the one is physical death, and we're all going to die sometime, unless Jesus comes first. There's an appointment that we have to make. We can't escape that. But there's another kind of death, and it's called spiritual death. From God's point of view, we are also dead already in that type of death. Death is separation from God. And it started way back at the beginning of, of time, the creation of this world. And we read in the book of Genesis chapter 2 that the Lord God commanded Adam, the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. God gave instructions to Adam and Eve, very clear instructions, stay away from that tree, and yet they disobeyed. And that disobedience led to a, a separation from God, a horrible situation as far as who they were and what they were, that would not be taken fully care of until Jesus came a long time later and he died on the cross. You see, our first parents, Adam and Eve, not only disobeyed God, but they left us with an inheritance. That inheritance is called original sin. That's a fancy way for our theologians to say it, but we commit sin, we commit things that are wrong because we're sinners. We have a, a basic tendency, as it were, to do that. And you might say, what? Well, how can I have that sin of Adam like that? He died thousands of years ago. Well, I have a kind of a strange question for you. Where would you be today if your great-grandfather died when he was only a day old? Where would you be? I guarantee you that none of you, including myself, would be here. The sin of Adam has been passed on generation to generation. And every person is affected by that. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. Well, that includes the tiniest baby to the oldest person, to the most wonderful, kind, loving person that you ever met, to the most despicable criminal that's in prison for the rest of his or her life. We're all sinners. But the second part there is that not only are we dead, but our behavior demonstrates how that we're separated from God. We walked according to the course of this world. It's easy to complain or point out how bad other people are. A lot of people take pleasure in that. It's pointing out the sins of other people. But the reality is that we're no better than that person. I was convicted of that many, many years ago. A friend of mine, a, another army chaplain with me, and we were down on the border of Mexico, and we went into one of those border communities and walking around, and this man walked, not walked, he ran. And he, he was the most 
awful looking guy I think I'd ever seen. And I, I looked at, at him and I thought, what in the world? And I said to my friend, I, I said, Joel, what, who is that? What is that? And he looked at me and said, Tim, that's the man that Christ died for. I felt really ashamed because I was judging him. And we all tend to do that, don't we? I'm not as bad as that guy. That, that lady there, oh my. But the trouble is, every time we point that finger, we've got, what, three coming back right at us. We're just as guilty, and even more so, perhaps. We disobey God, and we live for Satan. In that next part of that passage there, that we serve the devil, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of disobedience. And again, we want to argue and defend ourselves. We say, but I go to church. I, I don't live for Satan. But if your heart isn't right with Christ this morning, you are in fact living for the evil one. The prince of the power of the earth. And, and Jesus talked about that. That Satan is in control of a lot of things on earth, not ultimate control. But the Bible talks about this, that he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to, in a sense, eat us up spiritually, to kill us and destroy us. And you say, how did they, all these wars and murders and everything else happen? The evil one, the father of lies, puts it in the heart and mind of people to do terrible things. And yet we can't just point a finger and say, Satan made me do it. No. It's because my heart is wrong with God, and I choose to do that which is wrong. By nature, it also concludes that we're children of wrath. Wrath is anger. Who's angry? Well, am, am I, it's just me that I'm angry? Well, there's some of that. But really what we find here is that God is angry. God the Father is angry at, not so much at you, but at the sin of this world. And you have participated in that lifestyle of sin. And he's really upset about that. So much so that what? Not only was he angry, but it goes on in these verses to give us a solution for that anger. The same God who's angry at our sinfulness is also the God who loves each and every one of us who are sinners. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. That's the good news. We ended up in a position of death and now in a position of life eternal. When we were dead, unable to help ourselves, unable to change, unable to do anything, God brought us life. And how? <laughs> By grace you have been saved. Grace is a gift. A gift to you and to me. 
that grace is God's marvelous love, his mercy, his unmerited favor, his kindness, his goodwill, all those words wrapped up in that one word of grace. And he gives this grace, how? It's through one thing, and that's the atoning work of Christ on the cross. By his death and his resurrection, we are bound to Christ. One author was writing about this, and he said it's like an adhesive. That, that when Jesus comes into our heart and life and we acknowledge our sin, and we confess that sin to God, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he rose from the dead for us, it's like a glue that sticks to Christ in those events in his life. So that's why in the Bible, when it talks that we're buried with him in baptism, what's it talking about? You weren't around, and neither was I, when Jesus died and went into that grave. No, and it isn't talking about the mode of baptism that some have tried to convince us that that's how it is, that we're buried, we have to go under the water. No. The death of Christ meant everything. He took our sins and buried them. And we find in the Old Testament that he, what, he buried them in the depths of the sea. That he removed them as far as the east is from the west. That your sins and my sins can be forgiven. And not only forgiven, but forgotten. And you don't mess around with that, that business of being forgotten. He gives us this grace through that atoning work of Christ. And that atoning work, maybe it's a, a word that, or a phrase that we don't hear, that we are not familiar with. In the Old Testament, the, the high priest would take the blood of the sacrificial, sacrificial lamb, and that lamb would then, lamb's blood would then be sprinkled on the altar and sprinkled on the people. Kind of a gross kind of a description, isn't it? But that blood covered the sin. And Jesus' death on the cross did even more than, oh, an everyday sacrifice like the Old Testament describes. Once for all, he died. Not just, well, a little bit here and a little bit there, but his blood covers us from all sin. The wages of sin is death, the Apostle Paul wrote. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and so what we find is that we're saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. He gave his life for us. He was raised from the dead and he lives forever. And now we join him. We join him in his death his resurrection, and also eternal life. And yet we argue with God again so often, and we say, but I'm a, I'm a child of, of God. How, how can I be forgiven? Well, God gives this gift of salvation because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And there's a tendency to say, well, I think I'm saved because I, I did this. And I did that. Now, I, I know that there are some who 
go into what's called works righteousness. If I just do a little bit more, God will love me more. And that isn't at all true, is it? He loves you just the way that you are, but too much to leave you that way. He loves you in such a way that he changes us from the inside out. He doesn't expect us to come into church and walk through some kind of shower or something or a bathtub and get cling on the outside and that's going to make God happy. Well, it's nice to take a bath once in a while, isn't it? But there's more to it than that. He clings us on the inside that we can't reach. Our hearts that are evil, the heart that is desperately wicked and who can know it, the mind that's filled with evil thoughts, lustful thoughts. And yet some Christians say, if I'm asking them, well, how, how are you saved? Well, I, I went forward at an altar call. I, I prayed this specific prayer, that did it. I'm going to say something that, that might shock some. Because I'm all for altar calls. I've conducted those different times. And I know that sometimes there's a lot of crying, a lot of sorrow and tears. But it isn't our tears, it isn't our prayers, it isn't our walking or doing. It's what Christ has done. It's all by grace and grace alone. When I served as an army chaplain, I, the Lord laid on my heart to have a uh, post-wide evangelistic crusade, kind of like a Billy Graham crusade. And I had this uh, dear friend that I'd worked with out in North Dakota when I was serving as a pastor there. And uh, our post-chaplain had said, no, yeah, you can have that. In fact, uh, since you came up with the idea, uh, you're the project officer. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want to do that. It's a lot of work. But he said, don't get summoned from your church. Spread it out a little bit. Now, the only one I could think of that could do this, name was Jim. And it happened that January I was flying out from Fort Meade, Maryland to Minneapolis to a pastor's conference. And as I got on the plane, uh, there in the seat in front of me sat Jim. Well, after the plane got going, there was a seat empty and we sat together. And I shared with him what was on my heart. And he made room in his schedule to come there to Fort Meade, Maryland, and he did a wonderful job as far as preaching the word. He shared the gospel. But why I'm telling you the story is that there was a dear lady in the main chapel where I was working at who said, oh, I just have to walk forward at that altar call because it's always been something missing in my life. I never did that. Well, I really didn't answer her, but I thought, you missed the point. It isn't you walking. It isn't you doing. It isn't you saying the right things. It's believing by faith what Christ has done for you. So when you look at the cross, 
What do you see? You don't see your righteousness. You don't see your good works. You don't see anything that you might have done or could do or ever wanted to do, but what our Savior Jesus has already done for you. If we confess our sins, he, that is Jesus, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What can you do? <laughs> you give him a broken heart. You give him your sin. You say, Jesus, I'm not worthy. But you said to come. And now I come to you. Each and every day, there is that forgiveness that he offers. And a lot of people get mixed up with that, and they say, but I, I confess my sin once, I repented, and I'm, I'm good to go for eternity. Well, that's good that you did that, but it's each and every day we live in daily repentance, renewing our faith. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. You don't eat one time in your life and then never again eat. We have the Lord's Supper that gives us the body and blood of Christ the daily assurance that Jesus died for you and me. And not by works, no. I don't deserve it. Jesus did it all. And then that last verse in that text, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. <laughs> Amazing. There are good works that God wants you to do, not to be saved, but because you love him now. And now that you love him and have been cleansed of your sin, we want to just say thank you, Jesus. We want to praise you. We want to live for you now and forever. And we love him because he first loved us. That's the whole point of what I'm trying to get across to you today. That our Savior loves you. My oldest brother, who died now over 20 years ago, had lived a kind of a pretty rough life in many ways. And then that day came. He was in pain for a long time. Doctors completely misdiagnosed what he was going through. Said the pain in your shoulder is brucitis. Wasn't brucitis at all, he was full of cancer. And finally, another doctor uh, examined him and told him the bad news. He said, this was in January, he said by September, you'll be gone. Usually doctors don't say that. I'm so thankful this doctor did. That motivated him, even though he had been to church his whole life. He finally gave his heart to Christ, all of his sin. And I went to visit him, and he was just like a completely different man. And I said, what happened? And then he told me. And he explained the whole matter of his salvation in Christ. But then he said this, I don't understand this. Why would God love me? 
And I told him, Bruce, <laughs> why would he love me? Why would he love any of us? He just does. And his love is more than just a nice, hi, how are you kind of love. Sacrificial love. And that love is demonstrated to you this morning. And God wants you to receive that love. To believe in your hearts that Jesus is your Savior as well as mine. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that even this day you have reminded us again about how much you love us, you care about us, and that you want us to serve you. But, O oh Lord, not to earn our salvation, but to rejoice in it. So we pray your blessing upon each and every one here. And for those that are struggling with this whole thought, may you in your Holy Spirit call them through the gospel. Enlighten them, O Lord, with your gifts. Help them to understand and to know you. For we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>